Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the MIR's US Elections podcast. I'm Justin Poutu, and today I'm joined by Elizabeth Hurley and Erling Rosa to untangle the results of the 2020 presidential election. It's now past 5 p.m. on November 4th, and there is still no clear winner. Obviously, things might change, but as of this moment, this is what the situation is. So first, I want to go over quickly how the Electoral College works. Yeah, so the Electoral College is an important institution in how America awards votes. So essentially, in each state, popular votes are different from the electoral votes. Popular votes are directed towards the selection of electors in that state, which are proportional to representatives in Congress. You have 538 total, and then you can win by having 270, which is how you win. Uh, hypothetically, those popular votes should match up with the popular opinion, and so therefore you have the popular votes directed towards who the majority of the population wants in that state. However, due to population discrepancies between states, um, there are a lot of critiques about whether it truly is representative. For example, if you have a state with a very high population right next to a state with a very small population, but they have the same number of electors, then there's obviously an issue there in terms of representing the population and what the population wants, which is how you get a situation like in 2016, where Clinton won the popular vote, but lost the electoral vote. There is a lot of critique about uh, how representative this is and how much of a threat it is to democracy in general. Also, there's the issue with Nebraska and Maine, which award votes slightly differently than the rest of the 50 states. And so there is also an inconsistency there. So there, there are issues with electoral college that many people have recognized at this point, but it's the situation that we have. Great. So that being said, and now that we've kind of gone over how this all works, what is the electoral map looking like right now at this moment? I mean, of course, some of us stayed up until 2 a.m. the night before, uh, hoping for some sort of definitive result. But as of right now, a lot of states still have uh, votes coming in. I know that some of them are, you know, too close to call at the like above the 90% margin, uh, whereas others like Arizona, Nevada, Pennsylvania are still like they're kind of on the margin, sometimes swaying towards Trump at some points during the day, other times towards Biden, uh, and have about, you know, 84, 86% each. Uh, they're going to be key swing states. I mean, of course, we see a lot of red where we expected to see it. We see a lot of blue where we expected to see it with a couple of kind of like shared vote situations because of course every state is determinant of how their electoral votes end up going to the candidates. So Nebraska and Maine being the two notable ones for this election with projected to get one of the four electoral votes out of Maine and then Biden projected to get one out of the five in Nebraska. Really, it's it's close. It's a close race. If it ends up going the way that a lot of the popular news sources are saying that it's going to swing, so, you know, Arizona, Nevada going to Biden, and then Alaska, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Georgia going to Trump, which are the four, uh, sorry, which are the uh, six, geez, that are still, like, very largely undecided, then it would end up being almost too close to call. I mean, you could say that it, that it could go either way. Uh, with the way that Biden's looking after he won Colorado, it looks more promising for him. Uh, he would end up with like 272 votes unless someone else had done the math and would love to correct me on that one. Um, that's kind of off the cuff. But uh, yeah, I really think that it's going to come down to how Arizona swings. That's, that's my own personal opinion. I don't know about you guys, but I think that it's weird that this entire election is hinging on um, a large snowbird state. 
For sure. I think that's really interesting. And, you know, as you were saying, the stakes are high for very few states and the margins are, are very, very small in some states that have been called in the past few hours. So like Wisconsin, Michigan, um, which are now going to Biden, but again, very tight races. So, you know, I do think we're in a situation where it's very unsure and sure Biden is is kind of in a good spot right now, but we'll have to see um, what happens. And that kind of brings me on to another point that I think is really kind of a key thing during this election. Um, the question is, why are results taking so long? And, you know, why are we a day later and there's still no definitive answer? Um, that's not normal usually, especially in those key states. We usually see results pretty early on. So first, there was a high voter turnout in general. We don't have definite numbers again right now, but you know, it definitely a lot of people voted, a lot of people went out to the polls. So that takes more time to count. And then because of the pandemic, there are also very large quantities of early ballots, mail-in ballots that have to be counted in addition to ballots that were cast at polls on election day. And since each state has their own way of counting ballots, that creates some timing issues. So in certain states, they start by counting the votes that were cast at polls and in other states they start by counting the the votes that were mailed in prior to election day so there are discrepancies in those methods and then that leads basically to outcomes that are unsure for quite a few days um, you know there are some states where they're they aren't projecting to be done with final results for still a few days right now so we'll see um, but it's definitely been, I think, one of the main issues of this election, trying to get the results out, trying to get the results quickly, um, and trying to get the results, you know, to the people before campaigns claim victory, which, you know, as we know, <laughs> is happening pretty intensely on certain sides. Certainly. And I think what you said uh, specifically about like mail-in ballots is because President Trump was definitely encouraging a lot of his voters and his support base not to use mail-in ballots and instead encouraging them to go out and vote on election day. So I think there could even be, like you said, a discrepancy there between who is voting how. And so that way there would be an actual skewing of which side is, I guess, winning in a way based on which votes are getting in sooner. And I think just because we see trends in one direction based on which voter turnout it is, if it's the turnout where, you know, they physically turned out versus mail-in, then I think that's just something to keep an eye on. I mean, I think that both candidates were very eager to mobilize their bases for this election. I don't think that either of them really project a landslide victory or anything like that. I mean, I know that in 2016, uh, Democrats were pretty confident, uh, at least up until like election night, that Clinton had it in the bag. Uh, there really wasn't gonna be much of a problem. And I don't think that nullified voter turnout, but it definitely was kind of a shock to see that um, Trump ended up taking the state so strategically that he won the Electoral College without uh, mobilizing the entirety of the popular vote. This year, I think that both parties are kind of on their game. They're really getting everyone they possibly can to vote. Uh, and with COVID, it's made it difficult. It's, it's pretty common knowledge that like a Republican in the States is going to be more likely to go and uh, vote in person, you know, COVID laws notwithstanding, uh, as opposed to a Democratic supporter. And so that whole mobilization of mail-in ballots, I don't think, I think it became slightly politicized. I think it really should have been a safety concern on behalf of the states when it comes down to it. I mean, 
the yeah you're right elizabeth like the early vote the one that you get from in-person polling is going to be a lot more republican heavy i think that the mail-ins going to likely be more democrat heavy but they're still mixed a lot of the states have already come in they've called but of course i mean we hope to be waiting a couple more days for these results uh hopefully they're done by the time this podcast comes out uh maybe not for viewership but uh, the deadline to count, I believe, was, uh, I heard December 6th. I think it should be n- November 6th. That might have been a, a miss, like someone misspoke on the air. But uh, it's not going to be immediate. It's not going to be any sort of instant gratification that we seek uh, when it comes to watching an election. So. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a testament to the general climate within vote campaigns, um, especially, I think, for the Biden campaign. Like, they've been very focused on reminding people consistently since, you know, results started coming out last night that this will take time. The process is not done. Like, even if you see states changing colors on your CNN newscast or whatever, like, the shots are not called yet. Um, And now for, you know, for many states, they have been at this time, but we've seen things change pretty rapidly and with very small margins um, once those mail-in ballots have started to be counted. For example, in Detroit, Michigan, lots of Democratic ballots here um, that were mailed in that were counted later on. And so for a while, Trump was leading Michigan up until today, a few hours before we started recording this. So yeah, we definitely see there's new dynamics, I think, that are really interesting in this election. The the Detroit vote count, though, is, is kind of uh, up in the air. I mean, that's definitely a situation that's going to evolve in the next few days. I don't know whether it's going to be in the Democratic or Republican favor. Donald Trump himself, I believe, is suing in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and asking for a Wisconsin recount uh, because, you know, votes were coming in uh, in sacks and wagons and coolers and just vans pulling up and people boarding the windows uh, and the facilities where they were actually counting a lot of the ballots. That's what's in the news. That's something that's getting uh, some interesting coverage right now uh, that really could influence where these states go. Because I know, uh, I mean, it's right now, looking at the Wisconsin map, it's 49-49 for Biden by a margin of less than 30,000 votes. Michigan is a little bit close, is a little bit further away with 50-49 for Biden uh, at a margin of about 70,000. And uh, I mean, Pennsylvania's not even come in, but it's a state that a lot of people, I feel a lot of Democrats were very hopeful that it was going to be Democratic uh, because of the governor's situation, gubernatorial situation. And it uh, looks like it's, it's swinging pretty heavily Republican in the same way that Ohio did, you know, that late game kind of redshift. So it's really something that's up in the air right now. That, um, I mean, that's really my two cents. I think that it's, it's definitely uh, something that will be a little more volatile and unique to this particular election scenario. Yeah, and if we're talking about volatility, I would think I definitely would uh, be concerned about, you know, the state of voters in all of this, amongst among all of this uncertainty, because if we don't have a 100% certain answer, then it's, it's going to be difficult, I think, for a lot of people to feel confident about the election one way or the other. And so I think that could definitely lead to some, you know, concerns, maybe enacted in public, I do know that some downtowns and large uh, cities have been boarded up and uh, I guess preemptive measures. I'm not 100% certain about um, if they're planning for specific things, but protests, protests are, you know, their democratic thing to do. And I think definitely if people aren't feeling as if they have been represented, then there could be some sort of protest in response to that, which... I think it would be a very different type of protest uh, depending on who wins. 
um, because you do see Donald Trump being, you know, he has said he would not necessarily be willing to concede the election. So I think that kind of attitude is probably not conducive to more peaceful protesting, but I don't want to speculate, but that's just, again, yeah, like you said, that's, that's my two cents on uh, where, where that ad- attitude could lead us, uh, which is concerning. I mean, it's, it's really sad, of course, the, the boarding up of towns. I know DC's doing it. Um, I've seen videos where I grew up, Dallas, Texas, uh, boarding up. There's some dangerous rhetoric on both sides. The DA of Pennsylvania said that the only way that Trump could win that state, the, the only way that it would go red is with widespread voter fraud. Uh, so, of course, if it does go red, there's that kind of uh, who do you believe there. Like other officials have come out and said, you know, like I know Biden himself and, and Trump have said, you know, if we lose, it's because there's something wrong with the system. And so, of course, if Trump wins, uh, people are going to be upset. If Biden wins, people are going to be upset. Uh, the two different kinds of people, and they're, we're obviously going to get two different kinds of reactions. It's kind of a zero-sum game right now. I mean, I do agree that, you know, this this kind of general climate or feeling of uncertainty regarding the validity of the of the results is widespread, like no matter what party you affiliate with. But I to me, it's it's clear that, you know, Trump has been really, really pushing that narrative forward, especially in the past few days, um, just, you know, by claiming he won last night, well, early this morning at like 2.30 a.m., um, and basically implying voter fraud, massive voter fraud, and going out already saying, you know, I'm going to contest this, we're going to ask for recounts, we'll use the courts, we'll do whatever it takes. Um, I think that, you know, for those supporters who are already fired up, that can be um, an incentive to um, take to the streets and, you know, maybe have their voices heard in a way that's, um, that's not necessarily desirable for anyone um, if the balance shifts for Biden. But I guess we'll see as this evolves. Yeah, Justine, I definitely agree with you in terms of the rhetoric of the leader has a big impact on uh, what their voters will do, no matter if the voters are on the winning side or not. Because if you look at what Biden has been saying, he's been saying he's staying hopeful. He's telling everyone to be patient while the votes are being counted. And he has been optimistic about winning, but he has been emphasizing patience. And in the past, he has said that if he loses, he, of course, will concede which is important to, you know, democracy. And then you have Trump on the other side who, like you said, announced victory around 2.30 and has since made several unfactual and baseless claims about voter fraud and um, miscounting in Michigan and other states. And I think that there's a big difference in both that rhetoric and how that rhetoric is going to impact their voter bases, which I think could definitely be an issue um, if he chooses to contest the election in a more vitriolic way. And, you know, I think there's been also kind of an interesting shift, even if it's like a slight shift in the past few hours, in the past few days, um, as we've seen Trump really lean into that rhetoric of saying, you know, voter fraud, like, don't believe the results, I'm winning this. Um, We've seen some conservative journalists, namely like people from Fox, uh, Ben Shapiro also, like those people basically saying, you know what, Trump should not claim victory this soon. This is not okay, no matter who's in charge, like you can't do something like that. So I think we're starting to see maybe a realization from the Republican base that like, you know, this might not be the best thing to do right now. Um, Because obviously, like we should remember that not all Republicans are affiliated with extremist violent groups. Um, so I, I think that there, there must be some pressure and also from the Trump team, like he's not alone um, asking him to um, stay relatively quiet 
for things like that because we haven't seen him lash out fully on Twitter yet. Like I was expecting some kind of Twitter meltdown. It hasn't been too bad. So I guess we'll see. But yeah, the media definitely plays a big part, I think, um, in kind of gauging where we're at with this whole situation. Yeah, and in the scenario uh, that Trump does lose, I would be interested to see where that leaves the Republican Party, like now and moving forward, if either of you have opinions on that. It depends on on who the people like most. I mean, we all be, there's obviously a more vocal base in the Republican Party uh, that enjoys the kind of like new Republicanism that Trump and Pence are bringing to the stage. But there are also a lot of less vocal voters that are probably willing to be like, okay, in the next primary, I'm going to go in, I'm going to make sure that I actually you know, attend the caucus and I vote for like a good old boy kind of candidate, someone more like uh, George W. Bush or, uh, or his father or Reagan, like people that were less radical, um, maybe not as like active in office, but uh, someone who really just kind of like runs the government in the way that you wouldn't be aware that there is government looming over you. Like that's that's what most, uh, especially rural Republicans are going to be desiring uh, after a, a very vocal presidency from Donald Trump. I do think honestly, you know, if the Trump years are over after this election is done, um, it, it's going to be a, a defining moment within the Republican Party. Like they're at a crossroads where I think they have to decide like what their identity is going forward. I see the Trump years as, you know, a bit of an experiment. Um, I feel like some people who supported him at the beginning within the party aren't so sure now that that was the right thing and vice versa. So, you know, I'm looking forward to see um, how the dynamics of the Republican Party evolve. I think it's interesting that you refer to the Trump years as uh, like a condensed kind of thing because I, I don't know, I've always seen it as he was tapping into something, a very specific attitude already existing in uh, American society, which confounded a lot of different attitudes because you have, again, you have him appealing to a, a very wide voter base that won him the election in the first place. But I, I don't know, I don't know if we'll see this just as a very condensed four years of this experiment. I think that there's definitely a lot more to it than that. I think that there's going to be not just remnants, but still like a presence in politics about that kind of attitude and like the conflation of all of these ideologies that he brought together in a lot of different ways, which is a lot of them, again, are very far right. You have people who feel disenfranchised uh, in the working class. You have other, again, other demographics that play into his kind of ideology that not all of them necessarily get along but because of how he united them in this kind of Trumpist ideology, I think that would be something that you need, we need to keep an eye on moving forward and that we can't expect to just vanish if he is not elected. Yeah, this is definitely something to keep an eye out for, um, but something we'll have to wait for even a bit longer than the election results. So I'd like to circle back now that we're kind of a day into results being released. Um, we can start looking at paths to victory. So what makes sense? What do you guys think um, might be like potential outcomes at this point that we might expect to see if anyone has thoughts? It's definitely looking up for Biden right now. Uh, he's got 253 uh, of the necessary 270 while Trump's uh, a little behind with 214. Of course, reporting is kind of weird. I mean, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia, they are, they should be almost confirmed like around like 99% voter count, but they're, you know, Pennsylvania's at 85, uh, North Carolina's 95, and then Georgia's 94 right now. They're looking a, less, a little less volatile than they were last night, but the margins are still, you know, within the margin of error. 
those are going to be kind of determining. I don't think that we will be able to make a call until Arizona comes in. I think that's still like, that was my key state and I'm, I'm going to stick to that. Yeah. I mean, Biden though, he has, he has a, he has an excellent shot. If it comes down to Nevada, I don't think that he has Pennsylvania, Georgia, North Carolina in the bag. I don't think he has Alaska either, but really those two States uh, with the, what the, like the handful that he would get from Nevada, Arizona would be enough to push him over the threshold. So that's, it's really just a waiting game, but I think that's, um, that's what it's going to come down to. Yeah. I learned my lesson making assumptions in 2016 of, oh, we're very far ahead. So we should, we should think it's going one way or the other because it's hard to make predictions when you have such an unpredictable uh, scenario, such an unpredictable environment um, on top of what's been going on in the campaigns themselves. I don't know if I'd feel comfortable definitively saying one one way or the other. I definitely have hopes, but I don't know if I have uh, strong predictions. Just circling back to um, the point about Arizona, this is a weird one because Fox News has actually called Arizona for Biden like very early on, but no, to my knowledge anyways, no major other outlet has done that. So I guess we'll see. But I do think that, you know, if Biden wins Arizona, now that he has Wisconsin and Michigan, most likely, not according to what Trump is saying, but it has been called already for Biden. Um, if he has those under the belt, like he's on a good path um, to 270. But obviously, there is the scenario that, you know, Trump performs well in those states. There's Georgia, there's North Carolina, there's Pennsylvania, where he, you know, he has quite a bit of the vote there, but it's not done yet. So we'll see. But you know, in terms of, of being optimistic, I do think that there are some paths for Biden still, and we're starting to see that a little bit more, although coverage and, you know, just general feelings last night and like early today were kind of negative regarding the Biden situation. Um, I think it might be turning, but as we've seen before, we never know. And uh, Trump might definitely also come out on top at this point. I mean, Arizona is a great example, but I mean, so are Ohio and West Virginia. Like you guys were talking earlier about how, how Trump, you know, came out at 2.30 and he was like, oh, you know, we're going to win the election. We have this in the bag. This is ours. Uh, of course, it's not the most responsible behavior for the candidate. I'm sure that some people were not very happy about it uh, in his tent. But what's the difference between that and like, you know, we have 4% or 10% of the vote in from Ohio, West Virginia. And, uh, you know, Chuck Todd called them blue. And now, I mean, they're pretty sturdy red states with like 69 in West Virginia and 53% in, in Ohio. I mean, it's the same kind of scenario that you're working with on, on both sides. I definitely agree. And, you know, I also think that this kind of media confusion sets the stage for like recounts, vote recounts and, and campaigns obviously not agreeing with things because, you know, we know that it's it's not okay for them to call things too early on, but nevertheless like it gives them some type of incentive to do that when we have news network coming out early and saying like oh maybe we're projecting this this should happen when you know not much of the vote has been counted so i i don't say that it would be like all media outlets but it's definitely been something i think personally as i was watching coverage last night that i found sometimes you know a little bit worrying um in terms of just clarity of results and yeah, just motivating in general, especially for the Trump campaign who, you know, wants recounts. He's already asking for them in Wisconsin. He said he would fight for results in North Carolina. 
and you know those are processes that can take weeks and involve the courts and it's you know it's not it's not desirable for for any party or for any voter no matter like what your political affiliation is and you know we could very quickly uh, fall back into a bush gore situation like we saw in, in 2000 so yeah, I guess now, um, as far as elections go, I mean, I think if you guys want in these last few minutes, we could definitely take time to talk about some of the most influential decisions outside of the presidential ones that are going to be the outcomes of the, uh, the Rep House of Representatives and the Senate, which, I mean, all in all, you can have a Democratic or Republican presidency, but if you don't control Congress, then of course, there's going to be a lot of backlash, a lot of checks and balances that wouldn't be experienced if they were all Republican or all Democratic. So um, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that that you'd want to pitch in. Sure. So I guess we'll start with the House. Um, it looks like Democrats will maintain control of the House. Nancy Pelosi had talked um, quite a bit about, you know, this plan to expand Democratic control within the House and have more seats. Uh, it's not really happening. They're losing a little bit of seats, like no dramatic losses. But, you know, they've, they have some Republican challengers that are pretty sturdy um, in some places and that have managed to flip some seats. Um, but overall, it's looking like, you know, Democrats will, will keep the House, which, as you're saying, um, definitely provides some type of check and balances um, situation, even if we end up with a Trump administration and if the Senate stays Republican. And that, I mean, especially the Senate, which it looks like, if I'm not mistaken, the, uh, the Republicans are going to enjoy further control of uh, in the next, the next term. I mean, really, it's an interesting kind of scenario because even if Biden wins presidency, they're going to end up, you know, coming, someone's going to end up drawing it back to uh, the whole issue about the, uh, the confirmation hearings with like Amy Coney Barrett and uh, how like, you know, Senate confirms uh, Supreme Court justices and the Republican Senate after this election uh, could, you know, downplay that controversy a little bit. Of course, uh, I'm not going to be taking sides on whether Trump made a good or a bad move by uh, imposing that appointment before an election. It definitely will change the uh, temperature of that discussion going forward. I'm just saying, like, I will um, share my opinion with that. I definitely think that the appointment of ACB was, like, fully political. And, you know, it, it's definitely something that you know, it's, it's going to be one of his lasting legacies. Like, even if he loses this, it shapes things for the near future. For sure. Yeah, I was going to agree with that, whether it's a good or a bad decision, depending on, you know, what you think of as good or bad. It, it, you have to look, it was a strategic decision. It, um, if he thinks that he can take it all the way to Supreme Court and any a contestation of the election and use that in his favor and see if uh, she will be used in his favor because he was the one who appointed her. I think that was maybe some of the um, strategy there. I don't know. She has said mem multiple times in her hearings that she can't say if she would recuse herself from a decision like that. And I think that was such a large question, such an important question uh, in her hearings. But she never really gave an answer. Other than that, she couldn't say that she if she would rec recuse herself or not. I guess we'll have to wait and see if it gets there. Um, I would like to end on kind of a positive note in terms of House and Senate races. Um, we've been seeing quite a few people that were elected that really, really amp up the diversity. Um, we have some trans folks that are now in the Senate, that are in the House. We have non-binary candidates that were also elected to the House. Um, lots of BIPOC, LGBTQ plus community members, you know, those are people that have policymaking power. So hopefully this translates into better policy 
um, no matter who the presidential candidate is for the next four years. So with that, thank you all for tuning in to our last edition of the U.S. Elections podcast. We hope you enjoyed and we hope we get some definitive results soon. And thank you for listening.